God bless you today. Welcome to the pumpkin patch at Church on the Rock. <laughs> kind of decoration for, uh, for fall uh, season of harvest. Hey, I got good news. We got our building permit this week to begin remodeling the former Gander Mountain. So we got it this Wednesday. Our board will approve all the bids that we've gotten, and we are off to the races. So real thrilled about that. Hey, I want to show you something that uh, makes a grandfather proud but also has a point to it today. A little picture of my grandson, his first haircut. Two years old, mom's got scissors in hand there and the clippers. Uh, how many know every parent hates the day? You just let them get longer and bushier because you don't want your baby to grow up. And how many know right now you went, oh, that's cute. Some of you thought, oh, the preacher's doing it again. I understand. But when, he, when he's two sitting there, he's cute. But if he was 25... And still sitting in the booster seat, waiting for mom to cut his hair and wearing a diaper. How many know something's wrong? There is an expectation that from 2 to 25, we're going to grow up. That we're going to become mature. That we're going to do what we were created to do. Well, there's a spiritual parallel to that. Uh, and this is what I'm speaking about today in my new series called Grow Up. It is a call to spiritual maturity. And if I could use one scripture as an illustration of this, Jesus in uh, the Sermon on the Mount told his followers to love our enemies. Now, I don't know about you, but my enemies need smacking on the head. Well, anybody with me today? They don't, <laughs> they don't need love. They need, to, they need a smack. But Jesus wants us to love people. And that doesn't mean that we're weak. It doesn't mean that we're doormats, but it means that we can forgive, that we can be bigger than the other person, that we don't have to respond in kind. And right after he told us to love our enemies, listen to what he said. In a word, what I'm saying is grow up. You are kingdom subjects. In other words, you're part of the kingdom of God. Now live like it and live out your God-created identity. This identity to be mature, to walk in love, and then he says, if you'll live generously and graciously towards others, that's the way God lives towards you. So in this specific instance, it was a call to grow up. But I suggest to you the call of spiritual maturity is much broader. How many know Christianity has a starting place? The starting place for me, now I'm grateful I was raised in America. I was raised in the Bible Belt. Mom made me go to church, but how many know going to church is not what makes us a Christian? What makes us a Christian is when we receive Christ as our Savior, when we begin to follow Him. For me, that started on August 15th, 1976, and at that day I was born again, but I was a spiritual babe in Christ. I had desire, I was going to heaven, but yet I still had carnality in my life. I still did things that I would be ashamed of today. But there's been a process of spiritual growth at work in me, and God wants that same process at work in you. Now, what we're going to do today is, uh, number one, I'm going to make the case for spiritual maturity. I'm going to show you that it's God's expectation that we grow. Number two, we're going to have a little fun. We're going to talk about immature Christians. That's probably those that came last night. And then we're going to talk about mature Christians. And then we're going to talk about why someone would make this step towards maturity. Because I mean, know it's much easier to, to be immature. It is much easier to get your way when you're two to just throw a fit. But how many know you can throw a fit when you're 32? 
You can throw a fit in the office. You can throw a fit in your marriage. And it's much easier to stay immature. But when we become mature, we become usable. We become what we're created to be. And this is what we're talking about. Now, next week, Lord willing, we'll talk about growing up in our character. That's the way that we are on the inside. Uh, The week after that, we'll talk about growing in our personal relationship with God. And then we'll talk about growing in fruitfulness or in service to God, what our life produces for Him. So let's begin today. It's called Grow Up. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, if you've got your Bible. And clearly, in Scripture, God has called us to grow up and become spiritually mature. To move from the stage of spiritual infancy through the teenage years of Christ on to maturity. Ephesians 4.11, and I'll read a couple verses to set the background. These are the gifts that Christ gave to the church. Perhaps more accurately, these are gifted men, gifted ministries. These are people anointed to help us in the church. And he lists five offices. First, the apostle. Second, the prophet. Third, the evangelist. Fourth, the pastor. And five, the teacher. Different, unique leaders in the body of Christ. He says their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up his church. And this next verse says, uh, declares why I'm not a cessationist. I still believe in the role of the prophet, the role of the apostle, and on down the line. Verse 13 tells us this will continue until. This will continue until, uh, and this is the need for these gifted ministries, until we come to unity in our faith. I mean, no, we're not there. And the knowledge of God's Son, and we will be what? Mature in the Lord. Here it is, and what maturity means, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. In other words, my goal is not just to get to heaven. Now, how many know everybody hopefully wants to go to heaven when they die? Uh, There's a lot of arrogance in the world today thinking, I don't need God, I I, I don't believe, I'm an atheist, I'm an agnostic. But, uh, you know, you heard the old phrase, there's no atheist in, uh, in foxholes. I, don't, I wonder how many atheists there really are when you stand on the end of your life and the doctor tells you that you have days to live. Listen, as long as you have your health, as long as you have money in your pocket, as long as you have opportunity to, for freedom in, in front of you, you can live like you don't need God. But sooner or later, we run into the wall of life that makes us realize that if we want to continue to live, we grasp the promise of God. Well, heaven is important. But what this is calling us to is to live like Jesus every day. Now, that doesn't mean that we'll be Jesus. We'll never be a God. Some religions teach that. You and I will always be human beings, but we can be mature human beings, exemplifying the character of Christ, the way Christ treated people, uh, virtues in our life, the way that we act, behave, all these things. And this is the goal. But look at verse 14, kind of the contrast. Then... You'll no longer be immature like children. Now, how many know my little two-year-old? He's fun and cute in most everything he does. But he's going to get a little older, and sooner or later, Mommy and Daddy's going to have to put down the hammer. Are you with me today? Sooner or later, he's going to tell them no, and he's going to act in defiance that's not cute. Uh, Sooner or later, he's going to want to run out in the streets. Sooner or later, he's going to want to know why he can't hang with certain friends. Uh, He needs guidance. He needs someone that is more mature to help him. But yet being a child, that's just who you are. But notice what the, 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 uh, uh, the Christian immature child is like. It says they'll be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever that they sound like the truth. 
I'm sorry, I missed a verse here on my iPad. Verse 14, we'll no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown around by every wind of new teaching. We won't be influenced by people who try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. The Bible, I've done sermons on this, why it can be trusted as the source of truth in life. But our culture has just thrown the good book away. Our culture has told us, told us you can choose your own form of sexual morality. Our culture has told us you can choose your gender rather than accepting the way God created you. Our culture tells us there is no God. Our culture and many would believe it and they would come across in ways that would, that would cause us to disbelieve the Bible in favor of the secular thought. Well, the mature person understands God's word to the degree that we can first ground our lives on it and everything we hear. Uh, God has a goal for us. Well, I'm sorry, verse 15. We will speak the truth in love, and here it says it again, growing up in every way, say it with me, more and more like Christ. Now, that is what I hope. If I, if I can do anything in these next few weeks, I hope that I can challenge you that your life's ambition is to be more and more like the person that Jesus wants you to be. That you're not satisfied with being like everybody else. You're not satisfied being like you are or like you were. But you have an inner drive that you want to be like the Lord and follow Him as your example. And I, I, I'll tell you, friends, uh, God wants to take us wherever we are. The greatest challenge, I've been a Christian over 40 years, and my greatest challenge is plateaus. My greatest challenge is thinking that perhaps now I've arrived or now I'm good or whatever the case is. I, the, the Christian life is to be lived as a trajectory that you and I are daily striving to be closer to Christ. We're growing in the knowledge of God. We're treating people the way God wants us to treat them. We're dealing with our fears. We're dealing with the things that we worry about. We're dealing with things that separate us from God. We're dealing with our selfishness till one day we stand before Him. Come on, somebody give the Lord a good, a good hand today. So that's kind of the foundation. That's God's expectation for us. Now let's uh, have a little fun with this. How does an immature baby Christian act? Uh, let's read from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and this is one illustration. There's many. But he says, Dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would to spiritual people. I had to talk to you as though you belonged to this world and as though you were infants in Christ. What does that mean? That means they're more influenced by their own selfish desires. They're more influenced by the secular culture. They're more influenced by what goes on around them than they are by God. That God's word probably is not known much about in their lives. And they're just kind of living by feeling and impulse, doing what other people do. They are infants in Christ. Now, they're saved. They're going to heaven. How many know you don't have to be a Christian 10 years to go to heaven? When you genuinely repent of your sins and receive Christ as your Savior and make that 180 turn to start follow the Christ of the cross, that's the moment of your salvation. And just like the thief on the cross who died a moment or who, who, who believed in Jesus moments before his death, whether it's him or someone that walks with the Lord, listen, you're a Christian when you're a believer. But yet believers can be unspiritual, worldly, carnal believers. If we're unspiritual, we can know more about our iPhone, more about duck hunting, Instagram, and the SEC than we know about the Bible. 
we can know more about the college games that happened yesterday and, and what Dallas is going to do today. What time is Dallas playing, by the way? Oh, sorry. We can know more about, the, and they're not bad things. Listen, I can tell you a lot about duck hunting. I can tell you a lot about turkey hunting. I can tell you a lot about gardening. I mean, there's things that I'm interested in in, in life, but they never eclipse Jesus in my life. Jesus is always the most important. These guys were infants in Christ. Now, I want to illustrate this if I can. You know, as a, as a Christian, we can enjoy this nice red car on our little pull-ups. Well, this one tore. I put this thing on in two services. I'm going to have to fake it on this one. I got on my big boy pants. When you're two, this is pretty cool. Until they have to be changed, it's not so cool for the changer. You see who loves that child at that point. But when you're cool, this is when you're two, this is cool. But it's not cool when you get older. I'm gonna read you something a little funny here, how Christians behave. This contrasts how Christians behave in church and how they behave at sporting events. And I think you'll see a big difference. Uh, here's what a Christian, why a Christian won't go to a sporting event. The coach never came to visit me. The coach of the Dallas Cowboys has not called me and offered me a discount on season tickets. I'm not going. Every time I went, they asked for money. Well, the people sitting in my row weren't friendly to me and the seats were hard. And those referees, those elders, they made a decision I didn't agree with. Of course, you know, number six, I'm sitting with hypocrites. But verse seven, some get, can you imagine some games going into overtime and I was late getting home? The band played songs I never heard before. And the games are scheduled on my only day to sleep in and run errands. The last one, I don't want to take my children because I want them to choose for themselves what they like best when they grow up. I'm me. Now, don't you put that on that. Just in case. Look at verse 2. Paul said, I, I, I had to feed you with milk and not solid food because you weren't ready for anything stronger and you still aren't ready. What is he talking about? The Bible explains itself. Hebrews 5 says, by this time you ought to be teachers. He's talking to believers. Now, what does it mean ought to be teachers? You ought to be mature. You have been living this life for long enough. You should be influencing other people. You need someone to teach you again the elementary truths of God's Word all over again. In other words, somebody needs to teach you to read your Bible every day. Somebody needs to teach you to pray every day. Somebody needs to teach you you need Christian fellowship. 
all these type things. But he says, verse 13, anyone who lives on milk is still an infant, not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness, but solid food is for the mature. So what I'm sharing with you today is not the milk of the word. I'm sharing with you the meat of the word about God's call and God's expectation that you would rise up to the level that God created you to be. You see, immature Christians, if I could complain from my side of the pulpit just a moment, immature Christians want a diet of sermons that bless me and make me happy and don't make me feel bad. Immature Christians don't ever want to be offended by what the preacher might say. Listen, if I'm speaking my own opinion, that's forget it. But when a preacher is talking from the Word of God, come on now, and the Bible is offensive to us, we should embrace it and recognize our need for it uh, in life. It's like you and I have become consumers and we're not even aware of it. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, I, I like to go out and eat. How many like to go out and eat? Sure, everybody does. Well, listen, if I go to a place and I'm going as long as the food is good, they'll seat me when I get there pretty quick. As long as the price is right and the service is good, I'm coming back. But all they have to do is mess it up once or twice, and then I'm out of there. Well, how many know we treat oftentimes the church, the cause of Christ, like we treat restaurants? That's what a consumer does. Verse 3 tells us the problem here. You're still controlled by your sinful nature. And the evidence, you're jealous of one another. You quarrel with each other. And then he says, you're living like people in the world. So this is the example of immaturity. I tried to illustrate it with a diaper. But it's how, you, uh, listen, it's how I naturally live. If I don't choose the path of maturity, I'm quarreling. If I'm not careful, I'm jealous. I envy. I want what somebody else has. Come on now. I'm, st I'm on the stingy side of life naturally. If I'm not careful, I can let those character attributes rule me rather than those of maturity. Now, let me flip uh, gears here. Uh, how does a mature Christian act? Now, I, want, I, I, I wrestled with how to communicate this to you because you will not find one verse that says this is how to behave as a Christian. The New Testament's filled with behavior attributes, and I wrestled and prayed for this, and I don't say this lightly, but Thursday evening, I'd been done studying for probably three or four hours, I felt the Holy Spirit speak to me. And uh, that's what I want to share with you now about what it means to be a mature Christian. And here's the first thing. I'm going to give you three, three things, and we'll go over each one in a little detail. But the first way that a mature Christian acts is we love Jesus more than we love anyone or anything. Let me say it again. It's the great commandment. We love Jesus more than we love anyone or anything. I love my wife, but I want to love Jesus more. I love duck hunting. I love turkey hunting. But I don't want them to become idols in my life. Are you with me today? It's great to have hobbies. It's great to enjoy life. It's great to have fun. But I want to tell you, friends, there's more to having fun in life. I want having fun to be maybe second. I want to love the Lord with all my heart to be first. How many can say amen to that? So that's the first one. The second one, I want to be co committed to be the person Jesus wants me to be. And the third one is, I want to be committed to do what Jesus wants me to do. So I want to love him. I want to be who he wants me to be. And I want to do what he wants me to do. Let's talk about each of those. This first one, loving Jesus more than anyone or anything. Matthew chapter 22. Jesus is asked, what's the most important commandment in the law of Moses? 
Now, that's big. The law of Moses referred to the Old Testament. That's two-thirds of the Bible. And can you imagine being asked to pick one verse that summarizes the whole Bible to live by? And here's what Jesus said. You must love the Lord your God, say this with me, with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. In other words, a mature Christian, Jesus is more important than anyone or anything else, including myself. And that's where my big problem comes. It's more than an emotion or a feeling. It's revealed by the choices that we make. Now, I want to illustrate this. Uh, there is, there is a, a, a throne in our hearts now, you might have had uh, an EKG, you might have had an electrocardiogram, you might have had, you know, whatever the case is, uh, x-rays, but they have probably not found that throne that's in your heart. It is an unseen throne, and I want to suggest to you, only one person can live on that throne. That throne represents who's in control of my life. Either I'm in control or Jesus in control. Now, this happens to be the throne of John. I sit on this throne, and I choose how I live. I choose where I go to lunch. I choose how I spend my money. I choose what TV shows I watch and what movies I go to, and nobody can tell me whether I need to walk out or not. I choose whether I drink. I choose whether I smoke. And if you don't like it, it's my choice. It's not yours. You see, I'm in control of my life. I decide things. And the more education I have, the more experience I have, the more money I make, the more I'm in control. And if I want to do what I want to do, then who's to tell me? This is the way I suggest there's a part of that inside of me and perhaps in you. The issue, though, is when you become a Christian you begin to feel uncomfortable on this throne. You begin to struggle just a little bit because as you read your Bible, you're reading the book of Galatians. The book of Galatians says what? I have been, it's on the screen, I have been crucified with Christ. And I'm reading along and now rather than looking at my throne, I'm looking at a cross. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live but Christ lives in me, and I begin to live a little uncomfortable on that throne because the next, the next thing makes me more uncomfortable. Paul and Silas, they'll put a verse on the screen. Paul and Silas were uh, uh, described as men who risked their lives for the name of the, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in Christian circles... What you, what you have here is you have a, a, a title, you have a common name, Jesus, and you have who he was, Messiah, Christ, Christos, Lord. So Jesus, the common name, the, the name Jesus was actually quite common in his culture. He represented humanity. We're very comfortable talking about Jesus. When we talk about Christ, it's the Greek word for Savior, for Messiah. I mean, everybody needs Messiah. But it's the last word, the title that makes me uncomfortable sometimes. It's the word Lord. Because here's something I've found. I can be an immature Christian. And since it's not a stinky, I'm going to kind of put it back on. I can sit up here in my immaturity and make a room for Jesus. 
He's my savior and he's my buddy. And uh, as long as he doesn't tell me too much what to do, I want to go to heaven. I want him to make me happy. I want him to help me get a good job. I want him to answer my prayers. I want him to, you know, give us rain when he, we need it and don't let it rain when we're going on a picnic. And uh, I, I want him to help me when I'm sick and all my kids. And, and, and I, and I want to be able to have a better job. And I, 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 Jesus is my friend. He cares about me. He loves me. And, boy, I sure want to go to heaven one day. I don't want to go now, but I want to go to heaven one day. But when I understand him as Lord, Lord means there can't be two people sitting on the throne any more than there can be two people driving a car. You know, how many know there's one person that's got the wheel, one person with their foot on the gas and the brakes? It just doesn't work when two people are driving. And here, if, if you don't hear anything else today, I want you to hear this. The starting place for Christian maturity is when we get off the throne of our heart. And we bow to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. It is the starting place of growing and becoming the person that God wants us to be. Now, let's, uh, let's, let's keep going. Because American culture uh, messes us up in this. If you remember the, the, the story of the rich, young, rich fool... He was a man that made lots of money. Uh, he, he had a farm. He grew lots of crops and said, what in the world am I going to do with all this? I know what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger barns. And, and he never prayed about it. But here's a little verse that says this. Luke 12, 19. He said, I'll say to myself, you've got it made. Take it easy and have the time of your life. Th doesn't that just sound American? I mean, everything in America is having fun. It's all about me, and America tells us it's okay to be on that throne. Now, this has been a part of our country for a good 50 years or more. Uh, but I want to share a little commercial with you. It's an old Burger King commercial. You remember what Burger King used to say? Have it your way. I want to suggest to you there's an philo American philosophy behind this. It's a little grainy. It's an old commercial, but if you wonder what's wrong with old people, it's because we watch things like this. So go ahead and, uh, go ahead and just play that just a second and listen for the philosophy. Have it your way. Have it your way. Have it your way. Two Whopper Juniors and four Coca-Cola. And would I have to wait long if you made one Whopper with no pickle and no lettuce? No, sir. Hold the pickle, hold the lettuce. Special orders don't upset us. All we ask is that you let us serve it your way. Now that's the way to do things. Our way. Have it your way. We're thinking about making that the church uniform. Uh, and have all our ushers and greeters dressing like she did. Uh, that's the way to have it your way. Do you know they have a new slogan now? This is true. You can look it up. Their new slogan is, be your way. And it reminds people that they can and should live how they want to anytime. In other words, Burger King is saying, hey, look, on hamburgers, I want mustard, pickle, lettuce, tomato, onions, and fresh jalapenos. That's great for the hamburger place, but it's not great living the Christian life. I'm preaching better than your amening. I'll never be who Jesus wants me to be if I demand to have everything my way. Let me give you the second one. Mature Christians are committed to be the person Jesus wants us to be. This is about our internal world. It's about how we roll. Uh, it's the starting place to grow up 
is to imitate Jesus. If you want to know what maturity is like, follow Christ. Now, I'm going to read a scripture to you. It's Philippians chapter 2, but I'm going to pull out verse three, for, uh, verse 5 first, and then I'll go back to verse 3. Verse 5 says this, In your lives you must, like Christ Jesus. In your lives you must think and act like Christ Jesus. Now, I want to suggest to you, that's a starting place for maturity. If today you would walk out of this, play, this room and say, I'm going to do my best to think and act like Jesus. And here's what he said, because what happens in America today, we're told from day one, and it's amplified as we get older, that we all have these rights that other people, the way they need to treat us. But listen to what Philippians 2 said. Philippians says, when you do things, don't let selfishness or pride be your God. Instead, here's Jesus, be humble and give more honor to others than to yourselves. Don't be interested only in your own life, but be interested in the lives of others. In your lives, you must think and act like Jesus Christ. He gave up his place with God. He made himself nothing. Born as a man and became a servant. The greatest man who ever lived on the earth said, I came not to be served, but to serve. He humbled himself and was obedient to God. Friends, I want to suggest to you today, when I'm sitting on this throne, I am demanding my rights. And this is where America sits today. This is so strong in our culture today that our colleges have to have safe spaces because people are offended by someone that's a, a different skin color or a different political party. We're so much on the throne today that if we don't like what people say, we are taking steps through social media and, and, and government regulations to silence people we disagree with. Uh, if we happen to be a transgendered person, if we're a biological male by birth and we decide we're female, we will demand you call us with the right pronoun, a female pronoun. Otherwise, in some places in America, you can be fined up to $50,000 if you don't. It is all about our rights. And this is the culture that we're raised in. But Jesus left heaven's throne, came to earth, and lived among us and said, I want you to be other servant. Come on, give the Lord a good, a good hand. Let me give you one more that is, is, I have found in my own personal life to be life-changing in my pursuit of Christ. Mature Christians are committed to do what Jesus wants us to do. Now, I'm going to read this, but I want to say this, and I'll say it several times. It's easy to believe in Jesus, but it's hard to follow him. How many can say amen to that one? Here's what Jesus, how he described the mature follower. In Matthew 16, 24, Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, much different than the believer who wants to go to heaven, but if you want to be my follower, you must give up your own way, get off the throne, take up your cross, and follow me. Exchange the throne for the cross. The cross was a place of death, but death, perhaps not physical, but death to my will when it's in conflict with God's will. Remember in the Garden of Gethsemane? Jesus didn't want to die before he was crucified. He said, Father, if it's possible, take this cup from me. But nevertheless, yeah, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus said, verse 25, if you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. In other words, if you live your whole life on this throne, living your way, doing your thing, being in control, being in charge, and never living for the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll reach the end of your life and realize you will have wasted your life. 
But Jesus said, if you lose your life for me, what will you do if you get off the throne? If you follow me, you will find it. He asked this question, what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? What what if you make more money than anyone in your circle of influence? What if you have the biggest and best house, the biggest and best truck, have the best turkey hunting spot and dirt hunting spot in this part of the country? Nothing wrong with those things. But what if that's all you pursue? You gain the whole world, but you lose your soul. And he asked this question, is anything worth more than your soul? Let me tell you how this works, denying yourself, taking up your cross. I, I, I gave my life to Christ at 19, August 15th, 1976. I asked Jesus to sit on the throne of my life, and I became a Christian. But I, as a young Christian, was still on the throne. Now, I was improving radically. I was after God in a big way. But when I was about 22, 23, it was time to get out of the Navy and do what I was going to do with my life. And I had it all figured out. I knew everything I wanted to do. I wanted to go back. And when I joined the Navy, I, was, uh, I had an athletic scholarship and I was a punter in college. And I wanted to go back and I wanted to punt again. And then when uh, I got done with that, uh, my education, I wanted to be educated to, uh, in business and farming because I wanted to go back and I wanted to miss it, live in Mississippi, be a preacher on Sunday and farm during the week with my family. And that's how I planned out my life. And I was pursuing my plan. Mind you now, I love the Lord and I'm serving the Lord. But I'm, I, I'm kicking the football after work. Uh, we even played junior college teams there. And uh, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm doing well. And I look at a little gray bus that moves from the chow hall over to where people are working. And it was that bus that I would ride every day. Sometimes I would ride it just because I wanted to hang out with people. Because you see, when I got up in the morning, I'd put two things in my pocket. I'd put a Gideon Bible and I would fill it with gospel tracts. And it was my goal to get on that bus every day and let the Holy Spirit lead me to one person, talk to him about Jesus and give him a tract. And I'm on that football field, and that ball is just spiraling and turning over and doing great. And I'm looking at that bus, and I heard this voice. I want you to follow me, and I want you to give your life to being a preacher. And I looked at that football, and I looked at that bus, and I went in, and I hung up my shoulder pads. Not because I had to, but because I wanted to. See, I got off the throne, and I let Jesus be first. And can I tell you, I have never regretted it. I would never do my life differently if I had to do it again. Because when Jesus calls us, how many know he's there with us? But he has great promise and reward for the decision we make if we serve him. Come on, give him a good hand today. He's worthy of praise. Now, I'll close with this thought. Why would someone choose to live like this? In other words, why would you live taking up your cross? Because i got to be honest with you, that doesn't sound fun. I have a friend of mine. Uh, He was born in uh, Turkey. He was a Muslim priest. He became converted to Christianity. And uh, uh, he was arrested by the Muslims. He was put in prison. They knocked, they pulled his teeth out. I mean, I I can't imagine what horrors. He came back to America. And you know what he does now? He goes back to his homeland. Why would somebody do that? Because the cross of Christ is calling. Well, here's what I tell you why someone would do that of a promised reward. Remember when I told you and it made us a little somber? Jesus wants us to take up our cross, deny ourselves, and follow him. The very next verse says this, For the Son of Man will come in his glory with his Father and his angels, 
and he'll reward each person according to what they've done. Now, I don't know about you, but I live much of my life for rewards. Most of us in this room work, come on, for a paycheck. Most of us make an investment for a return that's coming. There's nothing wrong for the football player that's out on that field hoping for the reward at the end of the season. But there's another reason why we live like this, and I think it's more important than the reward, but it's gratitude. And I want you to listen to these words of Paul. Paul was the man who brought Christianity to the entire non-Jewish world. Paul was the man that wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. I mean, in any way, this man eclipsed anything that I've ever known. But before he became a Christian, he persecuted Christians. He would be there when they were killed because they were a believer. He would take children out of their homes. He did everything he could to destroy the, the church of Christ. Listen to what he wrote, and I'll close with this. He said, I thank Christ Jesus, our... Huh. In the past, I spoke against Christ. I persecuted him. I did all kinds of things to hurt him and his people. But I was given mercy so that in me, the worst of all sinners. Anyone other than me ever felt like the worst of all sinners? Wave your hand up in here. Yeah, yeah. The worst of all sinners, he made me an example of those who would believe in him and have life forever. Paul was grateful that Jesus had saved him. He grateful that Jesus, and then he was willing to do whatever the Lord would ask him to do because of gratitude. Now, I don't know about where the Lord brought you from, but he brought me. I was a little, just a little country guy. I was driving the tractor and playing football and chasing girls and drinking beer and, you know, rolling things up. Um, and I had this emptiness in my heart. Now, I shouldn't have had that in my heart. I was driving it. My dad gave me a new car when I graduated from high school. I had money in my pocket. I had cold beer in the back. I mean, are you with me? I mean, I, I shouldn't have had this empty feeling. But as a 19-year-old, I'd drive the tractor off and by myself. And I'd already had to, you know, use a match on something early in the morning to get going. And after lunch, and that evening, after, and then when I went out to see my friends... And I would just drive that tractor and I would just cry. And I had no clue why. And a friend of mine said, I'm going to join the Navy. And I thought, I think I'm going to do that too. Because if I don't, I'll miss something in my life. And before I got on the airplane to go to boot camp, a Gideon gave me a New Testament. And he said, the words of this book will change your life. Because it talks about the Savior of the world. And here I was, this kid that looked like everything was going for him. I dressed in cool clothes. I had, I had cool hair back then. I had a big afro. It was in curly hair. But something on the inside was missing. And you know what Jesus did? When, I, got, when I, I put the pillow over my head because I was weeping that day in a Navy boot camp and I asked Jesus to forgive me, to come in my life and be my Lord and Savior, and I committed my life to follow him. And you know what I've been doing ever since that day? I've been following him. And you know why I've been following him? Because I'm so grateful for the better life that he's given me. I'm so grateful for the promise of eternal life that he's given me. I'm so grateful that he's given me a loving wife. He's given me kids. He's given me a truck. He's given me friends that like to duck hunt and friends that like to turkey hunt. I mean, it just doesn't get any better than that. He's a good God.
He's a good God. Come on, give him a big hand today. He's worthy of all our praise. Why don't you stand to your feet today? Next week, Lord willing, we'll, we'll finish this. Now, look, I don't want you to turn off just yet. Certainly, I hope afterwards, if you're from Texas, go in the lobby and there's some voter education. There's 10 constitutional amendments that's on there that'll affect us in the future. I hope, I, I, I just, I wish I could just beg some of you, particularly you men, that you would go with Peter and uh, uh, drill that water well. It will change your life when you're among the impoverished people of the third world and you bring them living water. He'll be in the connect room. I hope, listen, if you're new in our church, come Wednesday night to our connect class. All those things are things you can move towards. But right now, before we think about lunch or anything else, I want to ask you, what are you going to do with what you heard today? That's pretty much the gist of the last 40 minutes other than the diaper. was Bible verses about Jesus Christ wanting you to come to a higher place. Wanting you to get off the throne of life. Wanting you to realize that there's more to life than just what I want and what I want to do. God is offering a divine partnership that if you will join in that partnership with the Holy Spirit He will shape you and mold you into the person He created you to be and your life will produce things that you never thought could be imagined why don't you just bow your head a moment and I want you to just talk to God and perhaps the first word out of your mouth should be yes yes Lord Lord, I personally want to ask you to forgive me when I behave in immature, selfish ways. And I want to say thank you that you've not given up on me. You've not turned me away. You've not thrown me away. But you keep nudging and calling. And today, Lord, I join, Lord, hopefully all my friends that say yes to the call to maturity. Jesus, today, I want to ask you to help me love you with all my heart, and mind and soul and strength that you would help me love you more than I love anyone or anything and Lord the second thing I ask is that you help me become the person the inside of me my character my values help me become the person that you want me to be and lastly often the big one would you help me Lord do what you want me to do Lord, would you help me get off that throne if you're wanting some of my time to minister to people? Would you help me get off that throne if you're wanting me to invest some of my money in your kingdom? Would you help me get off that throne and answer the call of God so one day I'll hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Hallelujah. Come on, give him another big hand today. He's worthy of our praise. Let's close this way. We're going to have one last song and then dismiss. But during that song, I'm going to invite our prayer team down to the front, and they'll be here to pray with you about anything. You know, certainly it can be a Maybe you've got to, I don't know what, maybe you've got to go see the doctor this week or whatever. You, you, you just need to pray. We'll pray about anything. But maybe something in this message, deeply the Holy Spirit is dealing with you about. Can I tell you from my own life's experience, I've always found it easier to do my prayer commitment in church than after I've eaten a Cracker Barrel. It's like when I'm in the moment with God, I need to respond to it. And maybe you need to come and pray with someone about something the Holy Spirit is asking you to do in terms of your personal maturity.
Maybe there's something you need to come and symbolically leave at the altar. But we'd also like to pray for another person or group of people. Maybe you're here today and you say, Pastor John, I'm not a Christian. And when I describe what my life was like, maybe you have some similarities. Maybe you've tried to find happiness in the world through all the traditional means, through money, through success, performance, trophies, looks, blah, blah, just down the line. But it's not there. There's a God-shaped hole in your heart and you want it filled. Maybe the weight of your sin is heavy on you like it was me the night I put that pillow over my head and asked God to forgive me. Can I tell you, you don't need me for forgiveness. God wants to forgive you. But if you're here today and perhaps you're like me, and if I could close with this thought, if that cross is a representation of Jesus, I lived all my life going this way. And I was on this throne doing my thing. But I st- I, I, my life kind of stopped and paused. And my awareness for God began to grow. And something inside me was telling me to just turn my heart and stop following John and start following Jesus. Can I tell you, it was the defining moment of my life when I not only asked Christ to forgive me, but when I committed my life to follow him. And maybe that's what you need to do today. For some, maybe it's the first time. For others, maybe you used to walk with the Lord, but you got away. Today, you want to renew your commitment to Jesus Christ because you want him to be not only your Savior, but the Lord of your life. And if that's you, when we start to sing this song and you want to get your life right with Christ, I'm going to encourage you to just slip out of your chair and come over to the cross. I promise you we won't embarrass you, but there's something powerful about you walking away and walking towards Him. We'll pray with you. Someone will be there to encourage you, and we'll help you live this Christian life. But it starts somewhere. Why not let it start right now? Go ahead and begin to sing, Pastor Zach. Our prayer team is coming to the front now. They'll be here for you if you need prayer. You just want to talk to someone. But if you need to get your life right with God, let me encourage you. Don't put it off. This could be the day of your change. Come, let us pray for you. We'll meet you at the cross. I love you and thank you for coming.